You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Christian Lund at Templify. You open up essentially a market every time you close a customer. It's a market on its own. One thing that is really exciting about doing the SaaS Nordic podcast is that we get to know a lot of really successful Nordic SaaS companies that have a tremendous growth. Today we are talking to a Danish company, Templify, that is listed by Financial Times as one of the fastest growing companies in Europe. And we will have the pressure to talk with one of their co-founders and their CPO, Christian Lund, and talk about their journey, how they started Uh, being expert in a very specific field and making this into a SaaS business in the enterprise space. Yeah, and I can just echo what you said, Thomas, and I'm always impressed when we bump into people that are spending a bigger portion of their professional career in one particular niche area, truly becoming the expert and and perfecting that space. And, and this is truly one of those cases here today. Absolutely. And I think that's also a lesson from this episode that if either you have really deep knowledge in a field or if you find people that has that, how can you transform that into a SaaS business and go big? I'm sure that you will be inspired by Christian and what he has to tell about the journey that Templify is on. And um, you actually have a chance to meet Christian yourself if you will participate in the um, Clubhouse panel tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, Friday, the 12th of March, we're going to have a panel around how you can organize your product organization uh, at your company. And also we're going to talk about how product management and product development Uh, can work together with the different roles that are involved with the product managers, product owners, uh, the dev teams, and so on. And, and also what kind of KPIs that you measure your product organization on. So if you are interested in that, uh, join us at 8 o'clock Central European time in Clubhouse. But now let's talk to Christian. So today we are very happy to have Christian Lund, the co-founder and Chief Product Officer at Templify as a guest here in the podcast. So welcome, Christian. Thank you so much. Welcome, Christian. Really exciting to have you here. So first month of the year, what's ahead of you guys? Oh, I think a ton of things. Uh, I think during uh, 2020, we've been doing uh, tremendous stuff, especially on the product side. So we introduced a complete new architecture, uh, going from a monolith into a microsystems architecture. And also we... Uh, introduced a lot more stuff to the product that just brings us closer to uh, to the end users than we than we used to be so uh, that's super exciting okay great okay so, so lots of stuff ahead of us uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself who is Christian Lund yes yeah, so uh, in in this role obviously I'm a co-founder of Templify and I have also been spending believe it or not the last 15 years or so of my life around template management document automation this space which uh, Uh, can sound a little bit boring to many, but actually has been like a super rewarding journey and a lot of a lot of things going through that. Uh, before that, I actually have an educational background in political science, which is completely unrelated to to technology. <laughs> I live in Copenhagen. I have three kids uh, and a wife and a little puppy that came out through COVID. Okay. <laughs> so uh, 
I think I think that's a short story. Okay, very very cool. So uh, that's twenty years in in uh, the template space. What's so pa- what's so passionate about the template space? Well, I said fifteen. You're already making me older than I am. <laughs> 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 but it might actually be closer to twenty when you say. Well, um, I think the problem that it's uh, it's essentially. Uh, what we consider, it, it, we really consider it a real problem. I can sort of maybe speak around that a little bit. So it's essentially uh, everyone we ever met all the, all the way through that time, all customers, all enterprises, which is our focus, have really the issue that, you know, uh, tons and tons and tons of documents, presentations, emails, spreadsheets, price quotes, contracts, reports, and so on is being created every day throughout. Actually, on our customer base, that is uh, more than 850, uh, if you include emails per user per month. So that just adds up to like incredible numbers. Some of the customers we have are more than a hundred thousand employees. Um, so that's kind of the starting point or the situation that is out there. And to go around that and, and fix the problem, which is essentially uh, the conflict between compliance on one side and productivity on the other side, where the business really want to make sure that everything is aligned uh, throughout the company in terms of both branding and compliance pieces with the legal compliance and so on. And at the same time, uh, adding a lot of productivity on the other end, that's just a very real problem and has been for so many years. And I then think what's been, uh, what's been super rewarding as well is uh, what's happened around us in terms of what's possible with technology. So if we go back those 15, 20 years, obviously that was completely different. Everything was uh, much more manual, uh, then into some technology that was very on-prem. All of a sudden, cloud came along and you could do such, so much more. The whole connectivity and things got just increasingly acceleratingly interesting and uh, the problem did not get smaller because all of a sudden you were just creating all this business collateral across a lot more platforms and from all sorts of starting points so it's just uh, the complexity has been rising and and the relevance for for a company like us has just been accelerating as well so i think that's been exciting yeah and at some point you decided that you wanted to create a new company templify here five or six years ago uh, to take this to the next level. So could you talk a little bit about your thoughts that led to, to starting Templify? Yes, absolutely. We've been, uh, <clears throat> uh, the founding group of Templify have been working around uh, uh, this space for a long time, as I mentioned, um, and had been solving that also for, for enterprises, but with a different type of technology. And um, then what happened around 2012, 13, was that we really came, kept having these requests from the enterprise customers about what's going to happen when we execute our cloud strategy, when we really transition, we go into the, the whole bring, bring your own device uh, thing and so on. And we could just see that there was uh, nothing supporting this for anywhere else than their on-prem systems for Microsoft Office. And we could see the world was going in a direction where, where uh, document production would be uh, still going on around those tools, but also a lot of other places, obviously with Google, and Google, you know, the, the, whole, uh, the whole Google Doc suite and the productivity suite they have, but also just being able to start a document pre- pre- creation process from anywhere, from Salesforce or whatever other application. And we could just see that there was nothing looking into that whatsoever. There was just, there were no tools out there. And at the same time, uh, more than a billion enterprise users just uh, going in that direction. And we looked into some analysis from, you know, Gartner and Forrester and the likes and could see that they expected that uh, six to 800 million users would transition from, from on-prem to cloud ways of building up their business collateral over a six to eight year, years period of time. And we thought, all right, that's a pretty significant market opening. Let's see if we can do something. And then what we did, and that is uh, definitely kudos to my co-founder, Henrik, uh, who uh, uh, basically spent... 
uh, about a year, year and a half of his life on learning everything he had learned in terms of technology, <laughs> but bringing all of the domain knowledge and trying to build a prototype for what this would look like in a cloud environment. So building a new prototype uh, from the ground up uh, for a cloud solution for this to see if it was possible or not. And then we saw it was actually, this was something that could be done, but we could see that there was a way forward. And that's when we decided to uh, spin this out and build uh, an international company from the get-go uh, with that was cloud first, mobile first, and also very international from the starting point, because we saw that this was something that could potentially go out to, uh, to a very wide audience. And we also, from the get-go, actually 10 months before we launched the product, we raised the first funding round as well because uh, we thought this is going to take some money to win this market. And that was kind of a very much upfront, uh, upfront decision for us. And, and who is your ideal customer for, for this kind of solution? Yes, yeah, so uh, that's actually the beauty of it, because I would say more and more. Uh, I mentioned before that everyone we ever met produces a ton of this collateral. So obviously, there are some that are more interesting than others. But we kind of have two areas. One is size. So it actually is uh, a lot of the things we do is, is actually industry agnostic, if you will, because if you get into a certain size, this is just anarchy, basically, uh, and there's no control about anything whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> so once you get like above the, I would say, thousand people in a company, this should be super relevant for any company in the world. Uh, so that is one. Uh, but then we have also the more vertical solutions that we do that, that is closer to specific types of business documents. And those are more interesting for like the document heavy industries the industries where a document of some sort is actually part of your delivery uh, in, in uh, what you deliver to your customers. So that would be like uh, professional services, accounting, uh, legal industry, things like that, where that just picks up a, a, a big part. And as well, uh, if you have uh, companies that, for example, are very sales, uh, sales driven, where automation of sales collateral quotes and things like that uh, also becomes super interesting on the, on the vertical use cases. Uh, though. So on the wider horizontal scale, large businesses, everyone. But when we go a little bit more vertical, there are certain types of businesses that are more interesting for us. Okay. And you guys have been at it for now for a few years and, and we followed you from the sidelines. You've had amazing success and, and the numbers are speaking for themselves. Are, are you able to share some numbers with, with us and our listeners on ARR, growth rates, the amount of customers you guys have and so on? Uh, yeah, uh, I can definitely do a little bit at least. So we are... We've gone through, I think, the interesting path of this uh, triple, triple, double, double, kind of double, 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 even uh, logic to it. Maybe started a little bit earlier uh, on that. It's 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 really dependent on when do you start the first triple. Is that from the is that from the like hundred thousand US dollars mark or is it the two million US dollars marks? Uh, but uh, anyway, we've uh, we've definitely gone through uh, like interesting uh, interesting a uh, interesting growth path for that one. So today we're, we're approaching uh, the 30 million uh, US dollars annual recurring, annual recurring uh, dollars mark uh, now, and also with uh, still continues to be like very high growth rates. Obviously not possible to continue to always double that, uh, even though that we are, we are actually very close to that and, and continue to have to strive to do it. And it's also how we, uh, how we try to fuel uh, the engine. We think that there's a lot of opportunity up there, and that's why we, we like to drive uh, growth also through uh, through capital from from investors because there's so much market to take. So top line is still uh, the, the, the top priority in terms of uh, what we're looking at. Now. Right. So how many customers do you guys have now? So we have around 600, a little bit more than 600 uh, enterprise customers uh, and, uh, and about two and a half million uh, users inside of those. Oh, wow. 
Okay. And what's an average deal size for you guys? Yeah, that's, you know, uh, there's an average to it, but it really varies a lot. Maybe that's more interesting to speak to because it's, uh, it, um, the whole, the whole strategy being an enterprise, I think is, um, uh, for us at least is we like to, we like to land with, with some of these horizontal, uh, uh, use cases that we support. Uh, so something related to workforce alignment, we need to get everybody in the same line in terms of compliance, following the right brand and things like that. We like the use cases that takes the technology across the whole company, which we're pretty good at starting from the top. And from there on, we work with the customers from the inside, if you will, to support specific use cases after that. So this means that the deal size is one thing and the account, uh, the, the total account value is another one. And that's also one, one that we see like growing quite significantly, but they range, you know, if you take the first deals, they would range from, uh, yeah, I think on the lower side, probably around, uh, 20 million, uh, sorry, uh, 20,000 uh, US dollars uh, per, per year. And then ranging up to, uh, ranging up to like a little short of a million. And then it kind of grows from there because typically, which is, uh, definitely a thing that I'm, I'm, I keep telling other people that go into enterprise. Uh, like one interesting thing, if you can really do this, where you actually get out wide with the infrastructure or the technology that you have, you open up essentially a market every time you close a customer. It's a market on its own where there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of additional uh, value that you could you could bring to this customer, and and following that, obviously, a lot of revenue that you can grow. So the opportunity to grow account if you're an enterprise, if you do things right, is just tremendous. And with that, obviously, comes stickiness and a lot of other like very positive things to, to that. Right, right. We're going to talk about the land and expand and the enterprise first approach in just a moment. Um, in our pre-talks, and, and we did some research here, you guys have raised an impressive amount of, of funds throughout the years here. Um, we were curious a little bit, like, how are you putting that money to use? Yeah, so... Um um, like that has, that has changed a lot over the years uh, as well. So you're right. I think, I think it's around 85 million us dollars, uh, something like that, um, to date. And, but if you look at how we've deployed them from the first, uh, the first deal that we did, which was, uh, with a Danish, uh, VC company seed capital, uh, which is still with us and we're extremely happy with, we've had a very good relationship with them throughout the year, uh, throughout the years. But the first funding round that we uh, we received from them, we were very focused on making sure that the technology got right, because we knew also from our background what that meant. We could not, we could just, there was just no way we could be, build like a, like a shell around things that looked great and then go to enterprises. We had to build it the other way around. It had to come from the inside. So uh, building a super, super, super strong uh, technology foundation was actually a key thing also on the, curse, on the first funding round that we were able to make sure that we could go to market with something that was strong. So we closed one of the, one of the big four companies globally already in, in uh, like in 2015, like maybe five months after we launched the product. Wow. Which was completely impossible if you did not have like an extremely solid foundation to go in with that with. So the first, uh, the first uh, funding that we took in was very focused on getting the technology right. And then only after we started with the revenue ramping and obviously looking at that, how that has sort of gravitated towards uh, S&M over the years, it's, it's obviously been uh, like a big transition. We still, we still invest a lot. I just mentioned that we flipped the whole uh, technology around last year and we spent like all, every single developer for a year, like uh, changing from monolith into a multi-system uh, 
system ar- ar- architecture, microsystem architecture, and um, and that was uh, that speaks to how we also like to invest in technology, obviously. But uh, the most of the the investments that we've taken in is now gravitating towards capturing the market and being focused on uh, on on the go to market activities. Okay, you mentioned before that size was. Um a big driver of the need of your solution and, and that you selected working with enterprises in an early stage. So was was that something that you saw from the beginning? Why do enterprise as, as a startup company, why not do SMB and then move upwards? <laughs> I think that the, 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 the quick answer is because that's what we knew. You know, where we came from, it was, uh, that's, that's, that was kind of the, the special expertise we had uh, that's one thing the other thing is the problem that we started solving originally originally the solution was very much about compliance and workforce alignment that was what we did so going in with a workforce alignment solution like things like uh, automatically making sure that every time somebody produces a business document it has the right logo the right disclaimer the right legal information right metadata injected to it and so on it's just not related very much to productivity. It's very much a compliance thing, which means that you need a certain size for that to be relevant. So the product at the time was very optimized with for that. And also, we were very good at understanding how to get in. But the part of the strategy was very, very deliberate that we, we could see that if we can do this and get in with this solution, there's a lot of doors opening for us to do a lot more with those companies. So that's why we started being extremely focused on solving things for the enterprise buyer and then only subsequently open up for what we could then do to automate much more specific pieces. So essentially, you can say that the starting point was really about getting the templates right, the starting point right, but no focus on the content. And then subsequently focusing more on what is the end user actually asking for here. And they're actually obviously asking to be productive. How can we actually piece together the actual document for them in a very automated and fast fashion? But that was the kind of the path. First, you saw the enterprise need, so you get out wide to the full company, and then you work with the inside to expand on your technology and your offering to also be extremely helpful for for the uh, for the users that are that, that that you now have access to every day. Mm. And and also, your idea from the beginning was that you could sell this from Denmark. You didn't have to build a, a large international sales organization that was spread out. Could you tell us a little bit about that that decision and, and how it paid off? Yeah, I think we did a couple of hacks that today I think sounds almost like a commodity or standard for, for most. But like the today, uh, we, we have obviously these Zoom meetings all, all along with everybody because of COVID. But actually, when we started out, we decided that every single sale that we would be doing would be going on online from the get-go. So, um, and the reason was, of course, that we thought this is, you know, obviously a lot more effective instead of us having to travel out to all sorts of, we were international from the get-go, having to travel somewhere and you can have one meeting in two days, kind of, that was kind of not very effective. And we thought we can do it. You know, it's a, there's a possible, we can definitely run through all the, especially on enterprise to, to just do everything online from the first call through everything with procurement and scoping and everything else that would go on in those calls. We thought that was possible. And uh, one of the reasons that we thought that would be possible is because a lot of those enterprises, they're not in the same building anyway. Right. So they they would often tell us, you know, well, if we asked them, should we travel to meet you? And they would say, no, not really, because then other people would have to travel from other places as well just to get in the same room. So they were actually quite accustomed to this a lot earlier than many others, which was interesting. So everybody was telling us, 
everyone, forget about it. It's not going to happen. You cannot sell the enterprises unless you go meet them, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and the interesting thing was that the only customers we ever met, they were the ones in Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the big companies in Denmark, they would say, if you want to deal with us, you have to travel. Otherwise, we can't work. Yes, yeah, so it was the Aarhus customers up in the, in the north. Aarhus, uh, yeah, you're the Copenhagen company. If you want to deal with us, you got to come over, which is fair. Yeah. And then a few, actually a few in Sweden as well, where you guys are from. We have to travel there as well. But the rest were like, if you look at the, the U.S. customers, it was like, no question. They didn't even want to meet us. And that was interesting. So we, we kind of scaled the whole, uh, the whole structure around that, that all meetings should be going on in that environment. And that kind of leads into the second piece that you asked, actually, on how to expand internationally. Because uh, we, we did, like, uh, I, I think, like a lot of companies, sort of fall into, into that trap where you think, now I want to open up the see what's going on in the U.S., and start a market over there, let's send out one guy and see, let let him or her figure out what to do and expand from there. Let's see how it goes. I have been that one guy many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was super fun. I was I was there all the time. I loved to go there, but there was just nothing coming out of it because it was uh, it's just not the way to do it, to be quite frank, at least not for a business like us. Uh, but I'll get back to what we then subsequently did in the U.S. But what we decided to do because of this method of just being very online focused on our sales, instead, we started to hire international people to the company on the sales side. So um, Native American people in the Copenhagen office meeting in later. So they would meet in like at three o'clock in the afternoon and do their work there like they were somewhere in the U.S. Because all the calls were anyway going on online. And that had a lot of advantages. Uh, first of all, uh, we didn't have to set up an office in the U.S. in the first place, and we could still like approach the market. We could we can control everything on the marketing and the, and the lead gen and all that anyway from Copenhagen. And the other huge advantage was that those people were much closer to the product and engineering and all the all the other functions, which were still like getting together. It was still like changing every day at the time. So it was that we didn't have the, like the solid base where this you can you can expect that all the processes were not in place. So that was just extremely uh, like helpful for us. And we did that across, you know, we had people uh, like American people, UK people, French people, German people, a lot of people that were just, you know, doing things on their native, in their native tongue, understanding what the, what the, uh, the culture is in those different countries and just doing the approach from there. And then actually doing a lot of testing, figuring out the approach that we have here, uh, is that actually replicatable? Is there something that would, we would need to change in those other countries? which was, uh, luckily for us, we figured out, no, not at all. There's it, it's essentially zero difference, you know, very close to at least on our approach. If we, you know, go to market approach, if you look at like New Zealand, Australia, or even Singapore, South Africa, all of Europe, uh, you know, uh, especially the coasts in the US, it's the same thing. There is no difference whatsoever. So that was also good learning for us. And it sort of fed into how can we then really scale? So today we have, um, you know, a, pre a big office in the U.S. I think there are around 70 people in the New York office today. We also have a, a, a fast ramping office in uh, in Sydney to cover the time zones. And we also have uh, uh, offices in uh, in uh, Berlin and Eindhoven, which uh, covers both the Benelux and, and Germany. They came through acquisitions, but it's still like a very good way to get some coverage. So today we have people on the ground, which is fantastic, but we also have the processes in place to it. And I think early days, a lot of companies could really benefit from thinking about how much, how for how long can they keep people together and still, of course, get out to the markets. 
So you don't get this problem about having to get knowledge across, which is like, I think, a massive, massive, massive undertaking. Once you start doing it, you have to do it for real. And the last thing I would say is that when we finally then decided now we have to go to the US, it was like for real. So we started out sending out, I think, our CEO, uh, Jesper, went over there to live. Uh, there were six or seven people or six or seven people from the Copenhagen office uh, just moving to the US. And then we hired another eight from the get go. So we started up being 15 or 16 people from day one. Right. Big impact. That's just completely different because that's where you have like, that's where you have a real group and you can really start moving. And of course, it's, it's a, we have to thank our investors for being able to do that because it's, it's easy for me to say that we were able to do it. Uh, and I know that's not always the case, but it's just, I, I would say it, 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 it's amazing to get into new markets, but it's also, it has to be a very significant, it's, it is a significant investment if you want to do it right. Uh, at least that's our experience. Is there a magical tipping point? At what point did you guys decide that now it's time for us to be locally present, for example, in the US or in Germany? For us, it was very related to proof because we could, we could, uh, we could go there, I would think, I would say like significantly earlier than also our investors suggested that we, that we would, or at least some of them, uh, because we had tested the market in terms of what, what, what can we expect from it. We already had the customers and we had the good references. For example, in the US, uh, when, we, when we originally started, we already had those because we were able to run this from Copenhagen. And that's why we think this is, we have the proof we can do it. And even though that you might you know, want to be a little bit ahead before you're sure that this is going to work, we decided to go a little bit premature on that one. But I would say that the second you have the proof and also when you have sort of uh, a good... Um, uh, structure foundation in terms of business processes so those people over there know how to get access for example to uh, to sales engineers or to support or to product or to engineering and you have those things in place where there's just a good way of collaborating and you have the culture in place to do it i think that's uh, then that's when it makes sense um and for example uh, i would say what we also decided to do which was uh which was uh, definitely dri driven by our ceo uh, jesper was that to make sure that the culture was so intact, we also decided to basically move our headquarters out of Copenhagen and into Zoom, okay. Okay. <laughs> essentially, so that, so that we have, um, it, it just became so accustomed to everybody to work with like this. So every week, for example, we have an all hands meeting that every, we are about 300 employees now and everybody joins in on that meeting. It's obviously some updating going on for what's happening on the business side, but it's also involvement of everyone around that just tips, tips in. And we've really been trying to move things a lot into the online environment to make sure that people are connected to avoid those silos that typically happen when you sort of branch out. And uh, even if you're in my team, for example, in Copenhagen, if we're all in, in, Co in the Copenhagen, like all the people joining in on a meeting is actually on the Copenhagen office, we would still jump on to Zoom for those calls um, just because we're so accustomed to that's how we meet uh, and, and put things together to not like rule anyone out that sits outside as well as for example never having like three people in one room jumping in on the same screen and then one per person at the other end you're always like one person one screen you jump onto the call everybody's on the same page right and that's actually a, it sounds super simple but i would still give it out as a very important advice because that's how you keep everyone included everyone's on the same page and you really can work to, together better i, I think that one. 
SAS Nordic is growing, and now we're launching a unique peer-to-peer community on Slack. My name is Nina, I'm the SAS Nordic Community Manager, and I would like to invite you to join this exciting forum. This will be the place to network, collaborate, and share knowledge with other SAS professionals in the Nordics. The SAS Nordic community is free and open to everyone working in Nordic SAS companies. Come join us at sasnordic.com. We can't wait to have you on board. Hey, I was curious about another thing when it comes to, to the geo expansions and, and the people and the resources is one thing. We've all been through the exercise and moving into certain countries. Like if we take Germany as an example, the myth and to a certain extent, the reality is that the Germans want to do business with German businesses. You need to have a game behind the, the legal framework needs to be there. So from your perspective, did you do any investments in setting up local businesses, or I almost said shell companies, but local businesses and representations in some of these markets while you still had the people in Copenhagen? Yes, uh, we actually did, but for different reasons or different drivers, uh, because you're absolutely right. What we found as well for Germany and to some extent for France as well, uh, I think it's very language uh, driven, actually, to a culture driven through the language. Right. But um uh, for those for those countries, we definitely saw what you what you're saying that the ability to work with German companies is difficult. So the first German companies we acquired some of the like uh, the very large consumer brands, for example. But they was they were so international in their mindset, so their corporate language was English anyway, and we could deal with those. But the ones that were more German, that was definitely a lot more difficult, and uh, and and that was something we had to consider. We we met different different types of problems there compared to the us for example uh, but we did uh, so what we what we did in germany was actually an acquisition okay so we we acquired a company for different reasons that was for product reasons because there was a company uh Viodin, that we bought that had a very strong addition to uh to the existing offering that we had but with that we also had like a german entity and a very good starting point in berlin to start approaching uh the, the german market from the inside and, and in that office, that's where we hired uh, top talent um, uh, German uh, uh, Germans, basically German-speaking people and Germans, right? Uh, to, um, uh, to 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 run that side of the business, uh, and then indulge them into into the culture that we we already had in, in Copenhagen. So uh, we have a setup for partly for that reason, definitely in Germany. Yes. Okay. I would like to talk a little bit more about how sort of you um, expand the adoption of your product within a customer. You mentioned that you see a customer almost like like a market. And I guess when when you sort of sign the deal, that is just the beginning. So how do you grow with that customer from, uh, and what do you do from the product side and what do you do maybe from the sales or customer success side maybe you could tell us maybe starting with the product yeah yeah so first on first on how the product is structured essentially it, it holds two areas one is the you could say the templating part the workforce alignment part it's great for for brand management for compliance management there are certain things that are related to content distribution to dynamic template management which is what we do in email signature management those are the tools and the work, the use case that we use to get across in the whole company. Then we have another range of the product, which is more the, the managed um, uh, managed workflows that we do, which is, for example, I'm a salesperson. I need to create a, a quote. My primary tool is Salesforce. So I start as a Salesforce. I want to create a quote. Templify pops up. 
I ask to some answers to some questions and based on what I answer to and based on who I am and because I come from Salesforce, it basically builds out the quote for me. So a much more vertical use case. It's not only about getting the template right, it's actually creating the, the document. And we have a ton of those vertical use cases where we help do a very specific type of document for an end user. And then the other thing is also that uh, with one of the acquisitions more re recently, a tool to actually follow the document when it's sent to an end recipient to understand how well it performs. So if you send a document to somebody, was it read, by whom, when, how much, all these things. Okay. And that is much also much more closer to the end user. So we have those, the, the product is structured to both support this like workforce alignment and also to productivity and efficiency. Okay. And so, so what we do, uh, branching to the other one on the go-to-market is that we like to go first with, uh, with a workforce alignment because that gets the infrastructure in. And then with customer success and account management, we work from the inside of the customer to identify these, these problems that they have. So customer A, now you have uh, this infrastructure that solves this. You already know the product because you see it every day in your environment. But if you are interested, we could, we could lift that up to something that is more specific for you. So you now have both the company, what the company wants to achieve with you, which is, which is workforce alignment. But you can now add these things to it to also automate what is required in your team, like more specifically. Okay. So essentially, we, we identify those use cases inside of the companies and just keep replicating uh, those, uh, those deals and, and set up siloed environments inside of the, inside of the tenant for those companies to, to give them what they need as well. So are, are you able to have similar components that product-led growth companies uh, use to sort of uh, let the product sell itself? So if I'm an end user, I work for a really big company that has Templify. Suddenly I get the document from someone within my organization or I see that someone has done something smart using Templify and I, I, maybe I don't know what it is, but maybe I think, is this something we can use for my team? And, and then I find out that, okay, if I go here and I click here and here and, and yeah, what does that look like in practicality? Yeah, it's, uh, I would say yes and no. There's a lot of horizontal sales. There's a lot of things going on for that reason, exactly as you say. Why am I spending like 80 hours doing this when you're spending 20 minutes? So that that's yeah. kind of triggers that the people want to do this. Uh, the other thing is that it's, uh, at least for most of the technology, it's not self-service. Okay. And that's actually good and bad. The whole thing about Templify is not self-service, uh, which we're often asked about for investors. Why don't you do it self-service? Well. The thing is that it's all, it, you have to take someone's things into consideration, the full workflows and what actually needs to connect with what and depending on who's, who's the user and so on. Uh, there's a lot of help in getting it closer to like a self-service experience, but the, but the configuration part is still like a key thing to actually get to the point where you get the real value out of the product. And for us, it also means the good side around that, by the way, is that there's it, it creates tremendous stickiness because once you've kind of put this structure in and set up everything to, to, uh, to, to, to do things in a certain way. It's also, of course, uh, uh, harder to leave such an, such an application. But uh, to, today, at least, it's, we don't have the type of sales service capabilities that you mentioned, but it is something that we are then constantly trying to improve, get closer and closer to. Okay. It's incredibly difficult to just like click, click, but it's, uh, but it's definitely an achievement that we want to get to over the following years. So then do you do your own professional services or do you have partners that helps your customers setting these processes up and configuring your solution? Yeah, so there's a range of companies other in the world now that are actually living on Templify. Okay. So they are, 
we don't have our own professional services at all. We have like a big team for, for, for support and things like that, that is helping all the professional services partners that we have, but we don't have any personal services in-house. All our revenue is uh, software-based and uh, subscription-based revenue. We have uh, zero professional services whatsoever. Uh, obviously, it would be very easy to build like a very significant business around that, but we've decided to not do that and instead have that also in the local markets with, uh, with, uh, with professional services uh, partners that are actually taking care of the, the implementations. Okay, so is that a, a very important uh, focus for you that not to go into professional services yourself uh, being a, a sole product company? Yes, that's the short answer. Yeah, good answer, <laughs> clear answer. <laughs> We've never had professional services, ever. And I was just about to say that, that that's sweet music to the investors. They, they don't want to see a big professional service arm. Uh, I was a little bit curious about the, the your partners here. So what type of partners are these? Like who, who is the right professional service partner for you? Is this a like your regular system integrator or is it more of a different type of partner? It's actually mostly a different type of partner. I would say, I would say more and more, I'll just get back to that. But one type of partner in the implementation side are ones that are typically um, like, I would say in the mix between being business consultants and then being uh, super, super knowledgeable around, around either Microsoft Office or G Suite. And, uh, and also, uh, like, to some extent, technology providers. So they are, what they are doing is that they understand extremely well what the customer requirements are in terms of how to mix things together to, get, to make the most of the Templify solution to support the most. Then they have super strong expertise uh, about building the actual content that goes in there uh, as well. And then they also, a lot of them, actually fill out some gaps that we don't support with additional technologies, additional integrations. They sort of they sort of lift on top of the Templify platform to do those extensions that are just too specific okay. for, us, for us to look at. That's another role that they have, and that's also how they make money. Uh, we also have another like evolving partner type, which is super interesting, which are the ones that are doing something completely different. For example, in sales enablement, where they are have a very particular go-to-market thing, uh, a strategy that they follow, and what they're needing sometimes is an automatic way to to compile business documents with what we can do. So what they're doing is actually leveraging part of our technology, where they're they're taking us as an ingredient in their solution and selling that. As uh, so, in that sense, we're also like working sometimes as an OEM, where others are using our technology to deliver their solution. Really cool. We love that as well, of course, because we then become the glue in, in that. So that's also an, an partner type that is uh, that is accelerating for us. Yeah. So, so is that a true OEM type of partnership? So you make the money with that partner, or you still write a contract with the end customer, so to say? No, for for those, it's actually we're we're on we're on essentially on their paper. Okay. So we have an agreement with them on on what they can do, and uh, uh, and uh, for us, it's kind of uh, yeah, super interesting because that allows us to approach markets that are much more vertical that we wouldn't do on our go to on our own go to market. So others basically carrying that out. And we become like a key thing for them to deliver their solution, but they still lean our technology. So it's kind of uh, an enzyme. Right. Or an ingredient in their solution, which is uh which is great. And that's because of the capabilities of us piecing together things like automatically understanding who the user is and piecing together business documents, which is quite relevant in many contexts. Also the ones that we're not following on our own go to market. So that's another type of partner. So is there a reselling partnership type of strategy in, in your future as well, or maybe that's already active? So on the reseller side, uh, it's mostly on the referral. 
because we uh, we prefer and we have a very large and very fast ramping uh, sales uh, team and uh, we very much prefer to sort of own that part of the workflow or the sales cycle that we are sort of involved in this one to understand what the customer is buying and make sure that we identify the exact very precise needs and we use that for two reasons first of all to make sure that we deliver exactly what is required and what is needed for one so we don't we, we avoid churn down the road as well that we have we have extremely little churn very uh, and very high growth retention because we're pretty good at selling the right things to the right people and the other thing is that we like to do this to identify the future path for this customer as well what would might be the next thing for it so we really like to own the sales process and uh, accept if it's through like i mentioned before an OEM partnership where somebody's using part of our technology as their solution. If we're selling, if you're selling Templify like we're selling it, we prefer to do it ourselves. Okay. So I would like to understand a little bit more about what it looks like for the end customer. So if, if my company has Templify, I go in, I log into my computer, I have a lot of stuff to do. Where do I find the big magic Templify button that helps me uh, do wonders? Yes, it's a uh, for that one. We decided to be a little bit bold, actually, because uh, we, as you can imagine, I told you before, we typically have like a a business buyer that buys something for the rest. It's not the user buying Templify. If somebody sometimes for like across the whole company, corporate, and sometimes in in teams that is buying it. Uh, but on the user end, we like to be quite intrusive. So we pop up directly inside of those applications you're working in, and actually sometimes take over part of the screen you know in a in a very balanced way in terms of trying to be super helpful so we like to be super suggestive and also what drives a lot of the roadmap is actually changing from being that you have to understand as a user that you should go search for or browse for or look for something to being suggestive when we can see what users what the user is doing that's when we suggest what they what's probably the next big thing that they would like to see so it's kind of taking that approach and being extremely suggestive all the time is also what allows us to be quite intrusive. Okay. So, for example, if we take, like, I think an example that most could relate to, if you work inside of Office, like PowerPoint, for example, uh, Templify, you can definitely activate Templify from the ribbon, but we also pop up as a built-in task pane on the right-hand side of your screen just by you opening PowerPoint. And as you then start working, we sort of constantly, uh, uh, you know, continue to provide you the content that is relevant for you in that particular scenario. And when you start doing business documents, if you, if you just go to office and now you want to create a new business document, we pop up. So we take over that process, basically, and we ask you questions. So what do you want to do? We can see that you're probably starting here, but ask these questions. So we kind of finalize this for both reasons, because what this gives you is that on the business side, this means that it's actually the right, you know, the document that lives up to the company standards. And from the user, it gets you off to the best possible starting point. Because you answered three questions, it actually starts you up with a with the best possible document with some content potentially already in it. So it's kind of we, we like to be intrusive because we're allowed to, because it's helpful for the user and extremely beneficial for the company. Yeah, okay. That's kind of the logic we have, like being very present. Yeah. And the same thing across like any device you can think of, if that is uh, you know uh, your collaboration uh, tool like Teams or Slack or. Uh, uh, you know, whatever doc, uh, product you're working in, we would be there if if, it, if it's relevant for you to build a document with the infrastructure that helps you do that. So there's a button you can click on and Templify pops up with a unified uh, UI and helps you through the process of creating that document. So yeah, the idea is that you start from anywhere, any application, you build with anything, so any data or content from anywhere, and you can deliver that final document to anywhere. 
where it's the where it's the next best place for that one. That's kind of what. The, and I guess you can monitor this whole process and, and see the usage of, of different uh, solutions that you have set up and. Uh, and so, so how do you act on that or how, how do you help your customers act on, on those insights? Yeah, so for example, um, to be very concrete, um, unfortunately, I can't show you anything on screen right now, so it's probably going to be more relevant. But anyway, uh, we use it a lot for, for when, we, when we introduce new features uh, or changes to the product to follow those metrics to see what that would impact. For example, how many documents are we involved with? in terms of all the documents that are being produced inside of a business document. That's a key metric for us and also for customers because they like that because they know when we're involved, it's accurate, it's correct. So they want to do that. So one change we did was that uh, instead of you as a user having to you know, more manually go find Templify and trigger that process to be able to create a document, we, we were more intrusive. So just by you starting to click, I want to create a new document, we sort of took over that process as I told before. And that's why we take you through this process. Um, uh, to, to make sure that you actually start on the, right, on the right point. When we introduced that feature, we, of course, looked at, we expect that this particular metric in terms of how many documents are we involved with inside of the company would dramatically change by introducing that. So internally, we're following that in terms of understanding when we change some things, how will this affect the usage metrics we see on the product? And we expect to see an effect on certain things, and we set up goals as well in terms of what that should do. And the good thing is that it's the same for the customer. So the goals that we sort of put in are the same that the customer would like to see in terms of when, what does good look like. And we try to make sure that those two are really aligned. So we build the best product that is, uh, you know, very much leading customers in the direction that we think is right for them. So we are never building faster horses. We're always building the next thing that they probably don't know they need. But <laughs> we still try to sort of build it in in a way that it evidently makes sense when uh, when when we start actually uh, working with us. I like this insight driven approach. I was a little bit curious is there a process around internally at Templify where you have your account management and your customer success team they get triggered by this data or they monitor the usage and then that drives certain behaviors and actions from their end? Yes, I mean if you if you drill down on the different I mentioned six different like key uh, offerings that we have or use cases uh, it's a uh, for every one of them, you would have like a metrics deck in terms of what good looks like that then follows the customer. So if this is what we deliver, this is what we expect right. inside of this customer. So customer success is using a ton of time uh, looking at those metrics to see if, they, if, if, uh, if there's more things we could do, if it could be more helpful. And it's also something we do to identify uh, like, uh, yeah, health, health score within, within the customer, but also opportunities to do more with them, to have better conversations. So if they drop below, then we're definitely on top to see what can we do to help you get back on track so you're on par or above in terms of what the rest of, of the, your peers would do as a customer, but also identify like new opportunities using metrics a lot for that. So uh, that's uh, I think that's something you have to do within an enterprise uh, platform to to make sure that you, you follow that, to not to avoid churn on one, but also to, to introduce uh, NRR opportunities on the other side. Right. Right, right, right. No, really exciting and really cool. So um, we want to know a little bit, what's the future for Templify? Where do we see you guys in the next 12 to 24 months? Yes. Uh, so um, now we've changed. We've, we've spent a year, even though that we also had tremendous growth in 2020, despite COVID. It seems that, uh, by the way, that uh, enterprise customer, enterprise companies, uh, at least when you go company-wide, they're quite resilient in, in such, a, such a time. So I think we've been... Uh, 
it's 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 uh, we've been affected, but I don't think in any way close to what others have seen. Um, so, uh, but also we have we've gone through a tremendous change on the product, and that is also what we're now looking into really putting into play. We took major steps towards being much more relevant for uh, not only the enterprise but also the end user, and that is what we're we're trying to uh, sort of to uh, to really now leverage and and get into that space. So I think what you can expect is that we're taking a massive step towards being this key component inside of like any business enablement stack that you would see out there and just be one of the things you really need. If you look at that, like you need something for collaboration like Slack, you need something for your CRM or your, your ERP like Salesforce, and you also need something for your content enablement. And that is definitely where Templify fits in. And that is also, I think, the space you'll see. So we will be that one. And if you look a little bit further down the line, I think also that's the space that we're we're definitely on the, on the right track to, to be winning globally. Exciting future. We usually also ask our guests if they have uh, another person that they recommend us to try to get on the show that, that could uh, also give some interesting perspectives for the, the SaaS uh, industry here in the Nordic. So anyone come to mind? Well, first of all, I think that this over the past, when I think while we've been in business since 2014, it's just you know so interesting to see how uh, the whole tech scene has grown, especially in, in, I would say, in Copenhagen. I think you guys in Sweden were a little bit ahead of us <laughs> before that, but I think there's really been some picking up and there's so many things going on in sort of our, my little piece of, uh, of the world uh, down here. It's just because it's so close to Malmö. It, it sort of spills <laughs> over. It's pro it's, that's probably it. So I think there's so many, so many companies that are, that are interesting, but I do think it's, it's especially great to see the ones that kind of really took it to the to the sort of the next 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 level, and um, uh, sort of uh, one company that I think would be super interesting to hear from would be Unity, for example, yeah. on uh, on on their whole journey and and the approach and uh, and what's going on over there, and because they're kind of a lot of steps ahead. Uh, another thing, uh, another company which is uh, I think has also been like a a guiding star for us for sure has been a company like Sendesk because they had kind of a uh, a similar type of journey. They had to sort of build a complete new uh, a, a category for themselves, and and they had the I think seen from the outside something similar, but they're just you know miles ahead yeah. still of, of where we are. <laughs> and it's uh, for, so personally, I think it's so interesting for 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 me to learn from, but I think also for others because uh, I think what my experience has been also as a as a founder through this that it's um, when you when you're in a when we first started. You know, you feel like you're always like at least eight months behind on everything you do. And once you get to the other side, everything seems, seems so simple. It's kind of, you know, what was so difficult to get there. And it's kind of the, the full thing. So it's really interesting to get those understandings from, uh, from those companies that sometimes are a little bit more ahead uh, in terms of how they drive their business, at least. And then I think there's a ton of other companies that just have fantastic, amazing, crazy uh, ideas. Uh, there's uh, for, for, yeah. Uh, I'm not even going to start to mention who they are, but I think there's so many. <laughs> Porti is one of them, like uh, doing crazy things on AI and so on. That is just incredibly inspiring. So uh, that's that's interesting to hear from them too as well. Thomas, we're on the wrong side of the pond. It, it looks like we need to be working in Copenhagen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. So uh, great. But uh, thank you so much, Christian. It has been really interesting to hear about the Templified journey and what lies ahead. So uh, let's keep in touch and uh, see you around. See you around. Thanks so much for letting me join. 
So Daniel, what's your big takeaway from uh, today's episode? Uh, I'm always impressed by people that that are so knowledgeable in a particular space and and Christian and his colleagues or the founding team, their journey in the, call it the template space or the document management space is is really impressive and exciting. Uh, For me being a sales guy, there was one thing that was, that really got stuck with me (laughs) and that is how they build their international expansion out of the Copenhagen office. So, So they would find uh talent in copenhagen that could serve the foreign markets natively so to say so they would have find americans for the u.s sitting in um in copenhagen and working off hours to serve to serve that uh, that market and then once they build enough momentum once they prove that they had success instead of moving one guy they would move an entire team. And I think that's that's a really interesting approach, actually something that we are debating at BotXO as well right now. So this was interesting for me to hear. Yeah. And, uh, and as he says, try to stay together as long as you possibly can. And I think that's a great advice. And the funny thing here is when we, when we did the interview, uh, you were still at your old employer, so you said that, yeah, maybe I should go and work in Denmark, and that's what you're doing now. That's right, that's right. He he <laughs> he, he was one of the people that, that convinced me, and actually now uh, we're part of the same uh, same family because uh, both of our businesses are funded by, by Seed Capital, so uh, <laughs> there you go. It's a small world. Yeah, what a coincidence. It's coincidence indeed, yeah. Uh, anyway, Thomas, uh, I, I know you're really excited for, for this this uh, podcast and this this interview. What was your biggest takeaway today? The thing that I reacted most to during the interview was probably when he said that they saw each customer like a new market, basically. And I mean, if you have customers with a hundred thousand users, I mean, then you understand what what's, what he's talking about. So first, they sell the workforce alignment to. To sort of the the management and to the enterprise and then they are looking into the different teams and how they can optimize their workflows and, and their processes so i mean for such a big companies that they are reaching out to it must be so much work just developing those customers and, and i think it's uh, it's mind-boggling uh, and uh, and really interesting to have that perspective as well yeah, and I think that that's that's worth a, an episode of its own at least, and and their entire top-down approach and how they master that. It's, I think it's it's really impressive. Yeah, and I wonder how many other Nordic SaaS companies that are in that situation. I mean, this this was the first time that I I faced this in such a strong way, at least. Yeah, that sounds like a challenge. Let's see if we can find other companies that operate the same way, right? Yeah. So if you know of that out there, uh, please give us a tip. We will be happy to continue talking about this and uh, we hope that you like the show and if you do uh, please follow us on linkedin so you can stay up to date with other things that uh, sas nordic is doing also subscribe to the podcast available on all podcast platforms and um, if you're on clubhouse or if you have an iphone or ipad and can get on clubhouse uh, join the sas nordic club there as well we are hosting weekly events friday mornings for the moment within different topics and we are gathering a panel of six people every time so if you have any tips on um, professionals that should be uh, on the panel in clubhouse reach out to us as well so thank you for being with us this time Uh, see you again in two weeks see you